different kind of genres. And there's really something special about the Psalms, aren't there? It, it's, a, it's a unique feel as we see kind of the rawness that these psalmists are in. We see brokenness. We see honesty. And sometimes they're a little bit rough if we're, if we're honest with ourselves. And I think we can find ourselves in the Psalms. We can relate with the authors. There are things that they are saying that we need to hear and we need to understand and we need to believe. The very word Psalms, it means song or hymn. And we, we think about the Psalms, there is a clear favorite in the world. No Psalm has been quoted more, no Psalm has been memorized more, no Psalms have been shared more in hospitals, no Psalms have been shared more when people are in a serious issue than the Psalm 23. In fact, the very first verse is undoubtedly known by everyone here. The Lord is my shepherd. And even this week, I found myself needing to study this book and the timing of it and how it fed my soul. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the good shepherd. We've already read through it together, but we're going to do, I'm going to read it for us again here, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me. Father, we thank you because you are the good shepherd. Lord, you have been so good and so kind to us. And Lord, this morning I am certain there's at least one person in here who is going through a struggle, who's having a hard time seeing you, Lord, having a hard time believing that you're there with them. But Lord, for, for those of us who have repented and placed our faith in Christ, you are a ever-present help in time of need. And so, Lord, would you encourage us this morning? Would you remind us of your goodness towards us, not just as a church, but even individually? God, we need you this morning. Would you bring comfort as we understand that you are our good shepherd? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, of course, this is a psalm written by David, the great king of Israel. And I love how it's written in first person, which is a big reason why I think a lot of people love the psalm. It's not written in we, us, it's I, me, my. It's a psalm of great comfort. And so as we move through it, I want you to understand that for if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God is your shepherd. He is your God. 
don't just look at it from a big picture. He cares about you individually. You are not somebody lost in a crowd. We have five kids, and it's probably easy to get lost in the crowd of five kids. But Nikki and I, as we love each of our kids individually, God the Father loves you individually as his child. And so as we read this, I want you to have that personal perspective for you. Certainly David would know all about what it means to be a shepherd. If you recall, that's what he did as a child. He killed some animals protecting the sheep. And so this is a very personal psalm to him. And so as we break down this psalm, I want to talk about three things the good shepherd does for his sheep. Here's the first thing. The good shepherd provides. The good shepherd provides. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, if you're reading from the CSB version, I love what they say. They actually say, I have what I need. <laughs> Why is it that David says he shall not want, that he has everything he needs? The reason is because he knows who his shepherd is. He knows the one who is providing for him. Notice he doesn't say, I am the king, I shall not want. I have a great job, I shall not want. I found the perfect spouse. I have a nice little family, I shall not want. My bank account is full. My retirement is set. My health screen is clean, I shall not want. Family relationships are good. I shall not want. That's not what he says here. The reason why he is not in need is because of his shepherd. The reason for his understanding that he has everything he needs is because the good shepherd watches over him. He has his priorities straight. He understands who is the one who really, truly provides for him. And isn't it when we take our eyes off of Jesus that we find ourselves wanting more? Isn't that when we lose sight of our shepherd that we all of a sudden realize, man, I don't have everything that I wish I had. Like, I really need fill in the blank. We start looking at what others have, and we have this longing in our hearts for more things, more stuff that ultimately won't satisfy. It's so easy for us to forget who our good shepherd is. And the truth is, all of us have shepherds in our lives that we follow. The question is, who is our shepherd? What is it that we look to to find security, to find comfort in? Where do I run to for provision? Notice how the good shepherd provides for us here. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't that what a sheep, a sheep needs? It needs a place to graze. It needs a healthy place to have food. A good shepherd doesn't lead a sheep to rocky ground. The sheep needs food to survive. And in the same way, our good shepherd has given us green pastures in his word. He's given us food to nourish what matters most to us, our souls. He feeds us with this book. Do you, you remember when Jesus was tempted in the garden? Or 
He was tempted after the 40, year, 40, 40, years, 40 days of fasting. Do you remember when Satan came to him and, and, and tempted him and said, hey, you should turn this rock into bread so you can eat. What did Jesus say to him? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is one of the biggest ways that God provides for us? He pr- provides through his word. He's given us these great and very precious promises. Here's what the scriptures say about the word of God. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light unto our path. It's sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. By the word, a young man keeps his way pure. Those who love God's word find great peace. You want provision for your soul. It can't be found in what the world has to offer. It will leave you empty. That's why he's given us his word, his promises, so that when we find ourselves in a mess, when we find ourselves in a struggle, we can find great comfort in what his word says. Notice it it goes on to say that he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Isn't that such a, a beautiful picture of You know, sheep can be pretty skittish. And so at times, when we need it, God leads us to still waters, not the crazy waves and the scariness of what's going on. We're we're getting ready to go camping this week, and my youngest son was like, Dad, is it going to (laughs) storm? Because he's not a big fan of storms. And what God does is he quiets the waters. He leads us to still waters. He takes us to a place where we can find peace and comfort where we can have rest. He restores us. He knows what we need. Look at the last part of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God's ways don't lead us into reckless, sinful places. God actually takes us to beautiful new places and conforms us to the image of his son. And notice that What is the reason for this? It's for his name's sake. There's something extremely important for us to understand in that one statement. God does not exist for us. His world doesn't revolve around us. God is doing what will bring him glory. God is at the center of the universe. Sometimes we treat God as if he needs to be there to to fill my every wish and my every desire as if as if we are the ones who are sovereign. And we need to be reminded that when God brings things in our life, it's for his glory. He is the one who deserves all the praise. We live in such a man-centered culture that revolves around us. And even when the world wants to bring God into the equations, it's usually some self-centered way. Like, this is what God does for me. This is what, and, and when something bad happens, that's usually when God gets the blame, right? Like, oh, I don't like God because this is what happens. But, like, ha- haven't you noticed that it rains on the just and the unjust? They're suffering for the just and the unjust. Everybody's suffering. There's no absence here. The difference for believers is that God provides for our souls. God provides for what will last for an eternity. So it leaves us with the question, do you see the Lord as your great provider? Do you find satisfaction in God alone? 
Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Not only does the good shepherd provide, but the good shepherd protects. The good shepherd protects. One important thing for us to point out right away is that there is no escape from walking in the shadow of death. Notice David doesn't say, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That trips up a lot of people, doesn't it? Some people come to Christ thinking he's going to take away all my bad circumstances. That all of a sudden my life is going to become easy and that nothing bad is going to happen. And my kids are going to be healthy and they're going to follow the Lord. And I'm not going to have bad health and nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'm going to be prosperous, healthy, and wealthy. And we see that nowhere in scripture. And, and David is acknowledging here that I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the thing. Even though I do that, I'm not going to fear. I don't have to be afraid. There's nothing here that needs to worry me to cause my soul to shrivel up because of that fear. Why? Why does David fear no evil? Because he knows that the good shepherd is with him. He says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is like the symbol of, of defense. So when the the animals want to come eat the sheep. The shepherd defends it with the rod. You see, God only allows the enemy to go so far with us before he puts a stop to it. The staff, that represents protection. That represents leadership. It represents keeping us out of trouble. You know, you think of the hook on the end of the staff that pulls the sheep out when it's getting out of line. It keeps us from wandering. It keeps us from getting in a place where we are lost. It's a way to control the sheep in a good way so that we don't go sideways. You know, perhaps you are tempted this morning to think that in your darkest hour of life, in the dark night of your soul, that God has abandoned you. And you struggle to feel his presence, so you presume that he's gone. But let me remind you even what Hebrews 13.5 says, that he will never leave you or forsake you. He is right by your side, even in the midst of those moments. Like David said, God is always with you. See, the problem is we spend far too much time listening to ourselves, and we need to spend more time speaking to ourselves. You know the difference? You know when you just kind of sit there and then you stew on the thoughts and all these different thoughts come and all of a sudden the anxiety stirs up, the despair comes to mind, all you're thinking about are negative things. Those are the moments where we need to remind ourselves of what God's word says. So one of the action steps is going to be to memorize Psalm 23 so that when we're walking in through the valley of the shadow of death, we realize I have nothing to fear. I got the creator of the universe in my, on my side, in my corner. Like, do you believe that this morning? This is not just something that the psalmist feels in the moment. This is something that's absolutely true for every believer. He says he will never leave you or forsake you. If that's what the word says, then that's what God will do. He will always be with you. No matter 
where you go, no matter what happens to you. Look at verse 5, the second part there again. You, or the first part there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's not, is that not a curious picture? You know, we just had Memorial Day. And the movie I always think about Memorial Day is Saving Private Ryan. Just something that, like, you just can't watch it. And, like, it's not like an entertainment thing. It's just like a, a, sub, a sobriety test of this is what people have gone through for our freedom. You know, imagine in the midst of where fire is going back and forth. Picture yourself in a war, and there's the enemy is firing on you, and there's firing going back, and there's God in the midst of this battle with a table spread with food, inviting you to come. I've prepared this for you. That's a very curious picture. But that's the picture that David wants you to understand here. That even in the midst of what you're going through, even in the midst of the war and the enemy pursuing you, I mean, what's the last thing you are thinking about if you're in the middle of a battle? (laughs) The last thing I'm thinking about is eating. My nerves are taking over. I'm sweating. The last thing I care about is food. And yet God is there saying, hey, Ben, I got this. I've prepared a table for you. Take some time. Don't. Don't worry about the things that are going on around you. You see, sometimes we allow our trials and our troubles to blind us from the fact that God is right there in your midst. And even though our instinct might be, i got to fight this battle, the very, very best thing that we could do is just pause, sit at the table and eat. He's not at a fast food Restaurant window ready to hand hand your order to you so that you could take off. He's saying, come in and dine. It's going to be a while. We're having the best steaks. And if you want a good steak, it's got to cook a while. So come, rest at the table. This is the way God protects you. But again, let me remind you, this is not a protection that your circumstances will be easy. This is not a protection saying that your enemies will never clip you. It's not a protection saying that you'll never have wounds from the people around you. This is a protection that he will not allow your soul to go to hell. He will hold on to you, even when you feel like you have nothing left. I feel like I've been in the midst of that season. Nothing crazy is going on. It's just like darkness, praying, reading the Bible. And there's just shadow that feels like it's around me. How I need Psalm 23, that reminds me, he is with me. When everything inside me says he's not, I have to go back to the promises of God's word. I need to speak the truth to myself. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe you need to be reminded that the enemies who are coming after you have nothing against your God. Amen? He won't protect you from having to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But he will protect you in the midst of those. And he who began a good work will bring it to completion. The good shepherd protects. Look at the second part of Psalm 23 verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness 
and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The good shepherd provides. The good shepherd protects. And lastly this. The good shepherd preserves. The good shepherd preserves. God will be with his sheep all the days of their lives. It says he anoints my head with oil. So think about this. Now oil and things like that, like we don't really, most of us aren't really involved in that or even have an understanding of what does it mean to anoint your head with oil. So in, in contrast to that, in the Old Testament, when people would mourn, what would they kind of roll around in? What would they rub their heads with? Ash. Like it was a sign of mourning. I mean, you think of in the midst of war, when you're surrounded by your enemies, are you thinking good things? Are you thinking like, like you might be like getting the ashes ready. It's like to mourn for all your brothers and sisters who, who may pass away because of this war that's going on. And so in the midst of this, in the midst of life, God anoints our head with oil. This is a, this is a symbol of blessing. That God has watch over you. He's preserving you. He's blessing you. And notice that the cup of the believer overflows. God doesn't just give us enough to scrape by. He overflows our cup. This goes back again to God's promises. Why we need to be dwelling on the word of God that tells us who we were and tells us who we are in light of Christ. When you understand your sinfulness before a holy God, and you understand how much you deserve judgment, and then you realize that he paid the price for your sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross for you, when you realize the payment that was paid for you, you can't help but understand that your cup overflows. This morning, even in the darkest circumstances of anybody who may be walking in them, your cup overflows. God's been gracious to you. You did nothing to deserve forgiveness. You did nothing to earn God's favor. And yet because of the sacrifice of Christ, you repenting of your sin and placing your faith in him, your cup overflows because this life is the only hell that you will ever experience. It's only getting better. So are you a, a cup empty or a cup overflowing kind of person? Where you understand your position before Christ. Are you able to see all our good God has given you in this life? The psalm continues, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now notice this. These things will follow us. They don't go before us. You ever had a conversation with somebody who, like, you just see their circumstances are brutal. And, and you just, like, how in the world is this person even afloat? How are they not despising everything in their life? How are they not giving up on the Lord? I think of Job. And then they express like this faith in God that just blows your mind. And you're like, 
I could never do that. I would never be in that place that you are. And the reason why we say those and the reason why we feel those things is because in that moment, we're not needing that goodness and that mercy to be able to make it through those circumstances. But when we find ourselves in a mess, when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, that's when God gives us the grace and the mercy that we need. That's when God gives us the goodness and the mercy. It follows us wherever we go so that when we need it, it's there. God doesn't give us grace in the future for something that we don't even know is going to come. When we find ourselves in that moment, God gives us the grace. Again, we must remember that this does not mean we won't face any kind of suffering. Goodness and mercy doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. After all, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But God has overcome the world. He's watching you, your every step. He won't allow our enemies to pull us from himself. And this is why we cannot leave out that last line. This is why we need an eternal perspective on this life. This world is not our home, amen? I mean, that is good news. This is not our home. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's God's ultimate provision. Here's God's ultimate protection. Here's God's ultimate preservation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in him, he is preparing a place for you now in glory. He is getting ready to wipe away every tear. He's getting ready to take away every sorrow that you have now. It's coming to an end. It's temporary. And so we have to live our lives with an eternal perspective. It's clear to see that we live in a broken world. It's clear to see that this world is a mess. We're not getting better. We, some people have this perspective that the world is getting better. I'm not sure how you can possibly see that. But in a sense, kind of getting better for us, right, in a way. The closer we are to death, the closer we are to an eternity with our good shepherd who's going to wipe away the last tear. He's preserving us. He's holding on to you. He won't let you stumble. He won't let you fall. The world is hard. And we have to face some brutal things from time to time. But at the end of our time here on earth, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more heartache. So as we close today... Let me remind you that your good shepherd provides everything you need for this life. If you need it, God's going to give it to you. If he doesn't, guess what? You don't need it. And there are, you know, you think about this and we think about those who are starving. Certainly there were Christians who were martyred and some of the ways that Christians died is because they were starved to death. Does that mean God didn't provide what they need? No. God absolutely provided everything they needed in order to keep them until eternity. Again, this world is not our home. Everybody dies. Do you know what the death rate is? 
one per person. <laughs> We're all going to face death. Even those who were healed in the Bible, they one day ended up in the grave. So we can fight against that fear of diagnosis, but ultimately when God takes us home, we don't have to deal with this world anymore. God provides for our souls. He will protect you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And don't forget that he will preserve you. He is preparing a place for you. And so let me leave you with these words from John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's pray. Father, you are the good shepherd. Father, I thank you for how you've made that abundantly clear. Lord, you are not a stagnant, stale God who is unemotional, unmoved. You are a compassionate, merciful God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is what your word says of you and this is what is true. Ultimately, Father, we see the comparison of the good shepherd with Jesus. The shepherd who laid down his life for his flock. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you spared no expense for our pardon. Would you encourage us again this morning, Lord? Would you bring life to our souls? God, we need to be reminded of what you have done for us. Keep us with an eternal perspective that you are preparing a place for us. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.